It is good to see you tonight. Everybody's happy. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's talking. Everybody's having a good time. That's all right. Fellowship is a wonderful thing. I'd rather see people smiling and talking any day than griping and complaining, wouldn't you? <laughs> That's always a good thing. You are. Let's all lay hands on Donna tonight. Oh, goodness. Well, I'd like for us to begin tonight with a prayer of thanksgiving. And then before we finish tonight, as we do, we usually receive prayer requests. Um, most of you know that Robbie had surgery today. Um, it seemed, according to the doctor, to go really well. Um, I don't know that I ever recall uh, having seen a doctor come in and have prayer with a patient before surgery, then give the family report and ask if he could have prayer with the family afterwards. I was pretty impressive, I thought. So, um, but the doctor said that, that he gave him x-rays and showed some pictures of what he'd done and said he was able to relieve some pressure on these nerves and things, and he thought things would be much better for her. So, we're thankful for that. That was good. Also, the joiner's daughter, Crystal, most of you know that Crystal had, let's see, two valves replaced and one repaired last week in her heart. She's uh, a young woman, and uh, today she had to, and they thought probably this would happen, had to have a pacemaker installed to make all this work in sync. And she just uh, had that completed a little while ago. And uh, Pat texted me a few moments ago and said everything was, was good. Crystal was doing fine. So we thank the Lord for that. So the Lord's answering prayers. And, and for that we're thankful. He's faithful. So um, if anybody has a praise report, not a request right now, but a testimony or praise report you want to share before we give thanks, do that right quick. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful, thankful so much for your goodness and mercy and grace in our lives. You tell us we have not because we ask not. And then, Lord, when we turn around and ask and trust you, and then you come through big time for us, we just want to pause and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness and your mercy and your love. We do give you honor. We give you praise. We appreciate so much. The fact that we know for a fact you are a prayer-answering God. You hear the prayers of your people. You hear our cries. You know our pain. And uh, you, your tender mercies towards us are just wonderful, and we're thankful for that. So we do give you praise tonight. As we come together to look at your word, we pray that you would uh, illuminate our minds and help us to understand better your word. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Turn with me in what your Bible would title uh, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, please. And we're going to look at that uh, again tonight. We did kind of last week, and I'm going to do it again tonight um, and uh, give some attention to that. Actually, it was Sunday where we... we sort of touched on the book of Acts by talking about it was a book of what? History. 
the book of history. It's historic. It gives us details of what happened. It's a historical account of the growth of the early church. And so tonight we're going to examine uh, that a little closer and build upon that thought. And then this coming Sunday, I think I probably will spend another Sunday in the book of Acts. Since this past week was more about the Reformation than it was the historical portion of Acts. Um, uh, however, the point does need to be made, and we'll make it again probably before we finish tonight, that the history of the church is still being made. Amen. Still being made. Um, as we read through the book of Acts tonight, or, or work our way through it, we're going to see how that a promise that Jesus made was fulfilled. And that is that uh, Jesus was at work and is at work in the church today through the person of the Holy Spirit. He ascended to heaven. When he ascended to heaven, he, uh, the, the Holy Spirit was sent. Uh, he lives in us and he works in us. He works mightily in our world today. And so um, that continues just as surely today as it did 2,000 years ago. I hope no one in here tonight is of the opinion that some people are of, I've had people tell me this, that the days of miracles ceased with the apostles. You read in the book of Acts where the apostles prayed for people and people were healed and the gifts of the Spirit and so forth. But some people believe that. They've been taught all their lives. Well, now the days of miracles ceased with the apostles. I'm going to tell you, don't buy that lie because the Holy Spirit is still alive and well in our hearts and lives. He answers prayer. He works and He moves. And he, If I believed what some of them people believe, why would I ever pray and ask for anything? If I don't believe God's going to do it, if He's not going to hear, if He doesn't answer prayer, if He's not capable of doing miracles, then why even pray? Why even ask if we don't believe He's going to do it to begin with? So we we have to understand that this is a, a transition in the in the Scripture. Um, the the time when Jesus walked on this earth, His earth walk that was a tremendous time. But there was a transition from that when He ascended to heaven. But He said, "I won't leave you comfortless. I'll send you another Comforter that He'll be with you forever." Not with you only, but in you, the Scripture says. And that's speaking of His Spirit that we read about in the, uh, the book of Acts. I'd like to probably just go ahead and read verses 1 through 14 of chapter 1, please, as we begin tonight. Most of you will remember that the, there was a gospel that was written by the same man, that wrote the book of Acts, what gospel would that be? The gospel of Luke was written by Luke. The book of Acts was written by Thank you. So, talking about the gospel of Luke, we began reading in the book of Acts these words. The former account I made, that is the book of Luke, what has already been written, you're familiar with it, you've got it. He wrote to this man named Theophilus when he wrote Luke. Now he's writing again to Theophilus. 
referring to the first writing, the book of Luke, he says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee... Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Now, one thing I think is interesting to note about the book of Acts, this is the only unfinished book in the Bible. Think about that just a minute. The book of Acts is the only unfinished book in the Bible. Turn, if you would, to um, Acts chapter 28 and listen to how the book of Acts ends. The last words we read. Acts 28, verse 30. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. And that's it. And it stops. Now, if you went to a movie and it ended that way, you'd walk out pretty perturbed saying that's not the way you end the story. 
And this, that's because this is not the end of the story. There was more after that. We've, we've lived 2,000 years now of more. More of what the Spirit of God is doing throughout this world. His exploits, His miracles, the people that He uses, the people who are obedient to Him. And, and so this is a record basically of the first 30, 32, 35 years of church history. But that's it. After that, there's much more to come as God's people serve Him and He works mightily in their lives. So if you were of the opinion that the miracle ceased with the apostles, then you might could put an end at the book of Acts and leave it where it is. But the Spirit hasn't finished doing all He's wanting to do in this world today. He's still calling men, saving men, filling men, using men and women. And uh, He's at work today. So in that respect, we could say the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the book of the Acts of the people of God who will follow Him and be filled with the Spirit, that book has not been completed yet. It's not over. And um, we don't read anything in Scripture about the death of Paul and, and the rest of his life. He, this is it. He ends in prison there, preaching the gospel to everybody who, who will hear. Um, it's interesting to note that chapter 1 in the book of Acts begins with the gospel being preached in Jerusalem, Right? And you turn to chapter 28 of the book of Acts, and it ends with the gospel being preached in Rome. So what we've done is we've taken the promise that Jesus gave. We'll look at this closer. But he said, I'm going to, um, you're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when you start in chapter 1, the gospel is going good and strong in Jerusalem. And by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, he's in Rome. In Jerusalem, the religious capital of the Jews, right? And in, Jeru and in Rome, the political capital of the whole world at that time. So we've gone uh, through the process, and we'll see that in the book of Acts, and seen that promise fulfilled as the gospel is shared. Now, let's... Um, Kind of take a, a look at the outline I've got on the board here for just a moment and, and work through that as we go through. The key to the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you have your Bible open, somebody read it for me right quick. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And that's going to be our outline tonight as we work our way through the book of Acts. First of all, we're going to look at the Lord at work in Jerusalem. That will be chapters 1 through 7 in the book of Acts. And the Lord is at work in Jerusalem. Um, most of us are familiar, of course, with chapters 1 and 2. We've just read the largest part of uh, chapter 1 going through the ascension and the promise was made and tarry till you or wait was what uh, was said in the book of Acts. Wait for the promise of the Father. Um, tarry till you be endued with power from on high was one of the other gospel writers. So they were told to go but not go now, right? That's an important, important principle, folks, that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But then he turned around and said, but don't go yet. Why did he say don't go yet? 
Yeah, you don't have any you don't have any power. You don't have the ability to go make a difference in the world today. But he said, you go and tarry in Jerusalem, wait in Jerusalem. I mean, that, that is kind of strange if you'll think about it. He says, go, but wait. It's like an infomercial, isn't it? There's always that, but wait at the end of the, at, at the infomercial. But wait, you get two for one today, that kind of thing. But Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But then he said, but don't go yet. Wait, tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. So that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 2. That's a very familiar passage of Scripture to, to most of us. And the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared unto them divided tongues as a fire. And one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Somebody tell me, please, if you would, who was in that room and what city they were in? They were in Jerusalem. The disciples. And the number of names together was about 120. You read that in Acts chapter 1. The number of the names together was about 120. And so as they sat there, um, they, and, and they had been doing what for, for 10 days now? Fasting and praying there in the upper room together. And then this thing happened that the Lord had promised, and, and they didn't know what it was going to look like. What was the movie we saw a few years ago that came out and that depicted that so wonderfully? The, that was the name of the, the series, The Bible. You all remember that? We showed it in church a couple of times when they were all gathered in the upper room and they were praying and they were just uh, kind of waiting. As a matter of fact, they were praying the Lord's Prayer, as, as I recall, and they were reciting it together. And then all of a sudden... The, the Holy Spirit came into the room and they all began to speak with a different language and, and their expressions changed and their eyes got real big and they were saying words they didn't know. And it was, a, it was an amazing depiction of, of Pentecost, I think. I liked it. And so we, you look at verse 11, it says, their testimony was, we hear them, um, the people who were joined there said, we hear them speaking in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Some of them said, However, they're full of new wine. Peter standing up, verse 14 now, Peter standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. These are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, but this is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. Prophet Joel had said, And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God, I'll pour up my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall see vision. Your, your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my man, men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. We're talking about old and young, male and female. God's going to do something that will include Whosoever will. Right? Ronnie? You were talking about uh, the days of miracles is not over with. Right. And uh, I've experienced, and you experienced the same thing, the days of the Lord's Spirit is not over with. Uh, we've been in services. Sure. Where it was, His Spirit was just on one side and roll across or start the front and go to the back. 
We have experienced that. Many of us have experienced that. I've been in congregations of 10,000 people. For instance, at one of our, our gatherings where there were 10,000 people like at the General Assembly and, and actually witnessed the presence of the Lord come through a room like a, like a wind. And it's at like Ronnie said, it start on one side of the building in this massive building and it just would be like a wave going across the whole building. That's awesome. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to see and a, a powerful thing. Well, that's the kind of thing that happened here. And this is going to be repeated several times in the book of Acts. And I want us to notice how it's repeated uh, as we go through this tonight. As you look at uh, there again, first thing we're looking at tonight is verse chapters 1 through 7. And we're looking at the Lord's work in Jerusalem. Now, Luke is a very... Um, Luke was, uh, what was, what was his uh, professional designation? Physician. He was a physician. He's a sharp guy. He's intelligent. He thinks orderly. He thinks logically. And he's doing that in the book of Acts. This is not a hastily put together writing we're looking at tonight. It's, it's well done. It's well thought out. And he's taking this promise of Jesus, uh, this command of Jesus, go into all the world and preach the gospel uh, beginning at Jerusalem and Judea and then Samaria and then the ends of the earth. And that's the pattern he's going to use as he goes through the book of Acts. Right now we're focusing on this, what's happening in Jerusalem. Pentecost took place there as the in Acts chapter 2, as the Spirit of the Lord came down and they began to experience this thing that we just talked about. Now there's something interesting. We're going to see this in, in all the sections that we're going to go through tonight in the book of Acts. There is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I've already mentioned there were several, right? More than one in the book of Acts. We're going to look at those. With each outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there was also a judgment that, that accompanied that general time frame. If we go in the book of Acts, uh, let's flip over to chapter 5. And, and this is no accident that I think we see this correlation. The Spirit is poured out and judgment accompanies that, th that same general time frame. Chapter 5. A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and bought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. In other words, Ananias and Sapphira, they're a married couple. They sold a piece of property. Let's say they sold it for $10,000. And they came in and, and uh, gave $5,000 to the church and represented that $5,000 as being what they sold the property for. In other words, they didn't give all the money. They gave part of it. They misrepresented what they were doing. And so the Bible says in verse 2, they kept back part of the proceeds. And I think it's interesting to note they didn't have to give all the proceeds. They didn't have to give any of it. The fact was they gave part of it and represented it as being all of it. It was deceptive. And so he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and bought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is, this is our offering. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? 
Yeah, it was. And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Sure it was. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Because the Holy Spirit saw that. Amen? The Holy Spirit knew what was happening. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. Hmm. So great fear came upon all those young who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Well, that was bad, wasn't it? But it gets worse. Then in verse 7, it says, Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And she walks in thinking everybody's going to pat us on the back because we gave such an offering. Pretending that it was something that it was not. And it's about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and all who heard these things. Well, I guess... Dare I say, I'd love to see that type of thing return to the church. It would take care of a whole lot of hypocrites real quick, wouldn't it? It would cause all of us to examine our motives real quick. It would cause all of us to shape up or ship out real quick, wouldn't it? And that's what happened. Notice the effect of this was great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And may I remind us that the Bible says that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And there's not a great fear of the Lord nowadays, even in the church. And that's why I say, if something like this would, I'll tell you one thing, it would change New Life Church. Would it not? It would get some attention. It would change some lives. And, um, pardon me? <laughs> Ricky! <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness that, now that's, that's, that lightens the mood a little bit but is that not true I mean that's the point listen when the spirit of God is at work conviction is at work and things are happening right I, I talking to Ronnie was going back to the old days when we remember this wave of God's spirit coming over a crowd of people which I have seen I've also seen times when that would take place that people would get on their face. I'm talking about their face. They get on their knees and then their face and cry out to God because of the fear and the reverence of God in that place. I hadn't seen that in a long, long time. It would change our lives if we feared God. But God is merciful. To a point, God gives us the chance, does He not, 
I remember Dad saying when I was when I was growing up, I would hear him say this from time to time. Don't ever ask God to humble you. Humble yourself. God can humble you. Boy, can he humble you. But the Bible says humble yourselves in the sight of God and he will lift you up. So he wants us to humble ourselves. He wants us to do that and repent and come before him. Uh, but if we would refuse on and on and on, all we got to do is read the Bible. He knows how to humble his people, doesn't he? And those whom he loves, he chastens. You all know the Bible in this church. I'm telling you what. That's good. Okay, so along with this along with this outpouring in Jerusalem, there was also this time of judgment. Amen. In that same season. I don't know the not the same day, but in the same season. And we're going to see that repeated again after after a bit. Um note that in chapter 1, Jesus, what do we call that time when, when the disciples were doing this? They looked at Jesus and he went, we call that the ascension. But notice that Jesus was out of sight, but he was not out of mind. Chew on that one a minute. He was out of sight, but he was not out of mind. Because they were in the upper room doing what? Praying and seeking the Lord and tearing and waiting, calling upon God until this answer, this promise came that they had been um, told and this promise that had been made to them. Wow. In chapter 3, a lame man is healed during this same season here in Jerusalem. Um, The Bible tells us in, in chapter 3, Peter and John went together. I ought to get Nathan in here and help me sing this. Nathan and Beth used to sing this when they were about this high. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms. He stood put out his palms and this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ, Nazareth, rise up and walk. Boy, it's been a long time since I did that one. Okay? Now, I want you to think about this. Because now, just a few days earlier, what had Peter done? He denied the Lord. With cursing and swearing. He lied. I don't know him. He did it emphatically. It was not a, an accident. It was a choice he made. And then he went out and wept. And then Jesus is crucified. And Jesus rises from the dead. Does anybody remember the first person he went to see? Peter. First person he went to see was Peter. And it's not recorded what he said, what Jesus said to Peter, or what Peter said to Jesus. It's just recorded that Jesus went to him first. But you can imagine, can't you? 
Jesus embracing him. Peter, I forgive you. Peter, it's okay. That's all right. I still love you, Peter. And just a few days later, there was an outpouring. And then you see that same guy, Peter, who just a few days ago denies him. Now Peter stands up and he preaches this sermon like he's been doing it for years and quotes the Old Testament and gives an altar call and 3,000 people come to Christ that day. Wow. Made a difference in his life, didn't it? What a, what a sight. What a wonderful thing that was. And then, after that, Peter and, and uh, John are going to the temple one day to pray, and they pass by this lame man. He's sitting there at the, you've seen him before, standing at the, beside the road at the intersection somewhere holding a sign. You know, people I'm talking about, the ones you usually turn to act like you don't see them when you go by, so you don't have to make eye-to-eye contact. Well, Peter and John are walking by this man, whom the Bible tells us had been laid daily at the gate for years. He wasn't new, which when I think about that, knowing that Jesus was a praying man and went to the temple a lot too, Jesus would have passed by that man. I'm certain of it. Jesus had passed by that man probably many times, as well as many other people had. The difference was the Holy Spirit. Because on this day, after this outpouring, it changed everything because Peter could hear the Spirit say, Stop and look at him. Peter turned around. The man was asking for money. Peter said, I don't have any silver and gold. But such as I have, I'll share it with you. An amazing statement. Grabbed him by the hand. Rise up and walk. And this man stood up walking and leaping and praising God. And it created quite a stir, didn't it? It's, it's always going to be that way, it seems, in Scripture. Because wherever there's an outpouring, wherever there are miracles, wherever there are blessings, there's also going to be criticism. I mean, God can be doing absolutely wonderful things, and some people are going to be complaining about it. Right? And that's what was happening here. And so this, this persecution started, and uh, we read about the first persecution to Christians in the Bible because people didn't like that. They stirred up a stir and got a bunch of mess going. But the thing I'm, the thing I'm wanting to press at this point is this, that when... When there's been an outpouring of the Spirit, and the Spirit dwells in us, lives in us, we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. Amen? Amen. When we do that, we can hear the voice of our Lord. And when He says, stop and do something for somebody, say something to somebody, you never know what the outcome's going to be if you'll listen to the Lord. He can do things like that today just like He did then. There's not one person sitting in this room tonight who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that's incapable of doing what Peter did on that day if you listen to the Spirit and He speaks to you to do something. Amen. If we could only get it out of our minds that it's got to be the preacher or the pastor who does something, anybody can be used by God. And if, if the, the Lord speaks to you, listen, if you're sitting in a restaurant somewhere... 
I, I, this happens in the hospital sometimes over the years. This happened to me several times. I have been in the hospital with somebody in the church, maybe a surgery. I'm sitting there for hours, and I see somebody across the room whom I've never seen before. I don't know them from Adam. don't know them from Job's turkey, as the old saying goes. But they're broken, and they're weeping. And the Lord says, you need to go speak to them. Then you walk across the room. They, they, may, they may spit in your face when you get over there for all you know, because you don't know what's going to happen. But then all of a sudden they find out that all you want to do is say, can I pray with you? Is there anything I can do to help you? And then they just pour out their heart. And the Lord begins to, to bless them and bless you in the process. So those, those little urges, those little nudgings, I have never in my life had God take a megaphone and, and shout something in my ear. I wish he would because I could get it better that way. But he whispers, right? He whispers. And sometimes if we weren't so wrapped up in whatever we're listening to on the radio that might even be opposite of the, the way that God's trying to pull us. Y'all know what I'm saying? We may be filling our, our minds and our hearts with things that don't glorify the Lord, and the Lord's trying to get our attention and speak to us. But if we will listen to Him, He wants to pour out His Spirit. He wants there to be um, a flow of His Spirit in our midst, and, and He's just waiting on us. Um, Stephen, well, also um, in chapter 4, is the, the, the um, um, persecution, judgment, and chapter 6, deacons are instituted. Uh, we don't have time really to get into that. Stephen is stoned in chapter 7, and all of this takes place where? In Jerusalem. We're still in Jerusalem. Now what I want us to do in our minds is jump to chapters 8 and 9. Well, you can do that in your Bible too, not just in your mind. <laughs> chapters 8 and 9, we're going to go to the Lord at work in Samaria. Now let's get it, let's get it in our minds on who the Samaritans are. Can anybody tell me? So, You're right. Samaritans, uh, Samaritans used to be Jews. Their ancestors were Jews. Remember some of the captivities that took place in the Old Testament where Jews were taken out of their land and then other foreigners were transplanted where they were. Um, and then when you intermarry with these foreigners, you're no longer purebred Jew anymore, now you've intermarried with others, and that's the Samaritans. Uh, I'm not trying to be, I'm just, I'm telling you the way history records it, Samaritans are half-breeds. They are part Jew, but they're part Gentile. And so the Jews looked at them with what kind of attitude? Disgust and hatred and contempt. The Jews hated the Samaritans which is exactly what Jesus told the parable of the good Samaritan to let them know there was good in those people. Get your nose out of the air and recognize there's people besides you in the world. He's trying to teach them. Okay, but the uh, now we're, we've already moved from Jerusalem. Now we're moving to where the half-breeds live. 
Jesus talked to the woman at the well in Samaria. Jesus looked at his disciples after he finished that conversation and he said, Look on the fields. They're white into harvest. Those fields were in where? Samaria. Absolutely. And so he was trying to, to let them know these people need the Lord too. And so now in the book of Acts, we move to Samaria. Let's look in um, verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, so what we're seeing here is that some Samaritans had come to Christ. They sent Peter and John to them, who when they had came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money, remember now, here's a threat and judgment. We're going back to judgment. An outpouring and judgment tied together. Peter said to him, this magician who just wanted to be able to have this gift and show off his power, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Boy, they didn't mind speaking up and telling the truth, did they? Simon answered, said, not Simon Peter, but the, this, this man, the magician, if you will. Then Simon answered said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. But the point I want to make is that people in Samaria, uh, Samaria, verse 14, have received the word of God. The Holy Spirit falls on them in verse 17. Then they laid them ha hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when, when um, Simon saw that, he was amazed and wanted the power to do that same thing. In other words, what we see happening is now the Samaritans have had an outpouring and they also have had threatened judgment. There it is again. The half-breeds, they received the Spirit just like the Jews had. There was no difference. And then, as we continue to read, you'll notice that um, in chapter 8, Saul is mentioned. Saul's name is most popular in the New Testament is what? Paul. But in chapter 8, verse 1 says, Saul was consenting to his death. That is talking about Stephen in the previous chapter. At this time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 
Verse 4, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, many who were paralyzed, and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. And then later, verse 14, the apostles heard about that, went and laid hands on them, and they too received their outpouring just like the Jews had in Samaria, in uh, Jerusalem. Let's go to the last part now, beginning at chapter 10. Chapters 10 through 28 talk about the Lord's work to the uttermost parts of the world. We're going to read there about an outpouring in chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. Chapter 10, 44 through 48. Well, I'll tell you what, let's back up because we need to understand who these people are. Chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. That ought to be encouraging to us. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spake to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. You remember that there were lots of restrictions on what the Jews could eat, right? Peter was a Jew. He sees all these, these um, to use an old word I heard, heard years, cruddy, when you be popular when I was young. He saw all these cruddy animals and beasts and wiggly things. And he says, I'm not eating any of that. Verse 15, and a voice came to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times. And the object was taken up to heaven again. Well, Peter got the message. When it comes to who God wants to 
redeem, who God wants to save, whose lives God wants to change, there's nobody excluded, is there? It's whosoever will. You, you can't look upon people with any filter or, or any... You can't screen out anybody. Everybody is a potential for receiving the grace of God, eternal life, and becoming a Christian. So Peter was quite, um, I think we could say even prejudiced. He would not have wanted these Samaritans or anybody else, as far as that goes, to receive the grace of God. He was a Jew, bless God, and it's us and, and not anybody else was kind of the attitude, self-righteous. And the Lord had to teach him, listen, they're just like you are. They're people who need the Lord. And, and thankfully, Peter got the message. And then he stood up and began to, to share the gospel with people who were not Jewish. And, and the Bible says in chapter 10, verse 44, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, that is the Jews, who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized or should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Now, watch what you have here. We're going over to the Gentiles now. Not Jews. And they have their own outpouring. Now watch this. You've got the Jer Jerusalem over here. And who lives here in Jerusalem? The Jews. And then you go over to Samaria. And who lives there? The half-Jews. <laughs> and then you go over here, and who lives here? The non-Jews. But it doesn't matter. Because there's an outpouring for the Jews, the same outpouring for the half-breeds, and for all those Gentiles who don't have anything to do with the others. They have, there's an outpouring for them as well, just like it. It includes everybody, whosoever will. And we see that in Scripture. As you go through the book of Acts from beginning to end, it takes us from Jerusalem and Judea, then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So, what we're looking at now is this, this tremendous outreach effort, if we want to call it that, that took place. For instance, in chapters 13 through 15, Paul's first missionary journey. And, and we could take the time to read those, but it would, it would take a while. Listen, I want, I want us to think about this for a minute. This is a different time than that was. You can, you can get on an airplane at Raleigh-Durham at breakfast time and fly to Los Angeles, California and arrive there at breakfast time. <laughs> right? Yeah. It wasn't like that in Bible days. You, you were either going by ship with no engines, depending on the wind, very slow, um, camel, on foot, several different ways to travel, but none of them very fast, and all of them hard work. 
And you're talking about spreading the gospel over the known world. And they traveled, not on, not on Greyhound buses or airplanes or even Model A's. Can you imagine sitting on a ship? And, and you can get a good picture of this in the book of Acts if you read through it. You'll find Sp- Paul spent time. He, he was in shipwreck more than once in the ocean. Amazing. So when we read through the book of Acts, let's don't read like all, like all this happened in three months. It happened over a period of 30 years or more. A long time. Now, at the risk of being criticized, which is why would I worry about that now? <laughs> think, think with me along these lines. If you took all the miracles that you read in the book of Acts and divided them out over a period of 30 years, would you think there's probably some extended periods of time at those 30 years when there was not a miracle? I mean, it's not like every time they went to church there was all these big miracles, right? I mean, sometimes we get that idea. In our minds, we think, oh, that's the way it was, boy, back then. They just had miracles every time they went to church. I don't think so. I don't think so. Because all that we see in the book of Acts didn't take place in six months. It took place probably in 35 years. So things were were spread out a little bit. So that helps us to understand, I think, the role of the Spirit. When, when God determines that something great can happen by moving in someone's life and other people's eyes can be opened to the gospel, and we will listen to the voice that He speaks to our hearts, there's no telling what can happen. But I've, I've said this before, and there again, I, I'm sure I get criticized for it, but God never performs miracles for our entertainment. That, that kind of bothers me about some television ministries. You know, it focuses all the attention on, on the person laying hands on people and bringing an attention to the man. The man is never the, the one who gets the attention. It's God who gets the glory and who gets the attention. And that's why I say if we would listen to the Holy Spirit, God could take the... Tim Carter's my buddy. You don't hear Tim say much. But God could use Tim Carter to lay hands on somebody and their life, be abs- they'd receive a miracle. He could use Tim. He could use anybody in here. Amen? And then God would be glorified. Because I don't see Tim walking around on a microphone saying, Come here and let me lay hands on you, buddy. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and God is glorified. We just need to learn to listen to the Lord and be obedient to Him. Can, can I just challenge you when you're in church and, and we're worshiping the Lord here? If the Lord lays something on your heart, do it. Just do it. It may be, it may be different. It may be something that somebody's going to say is out of order. There again, going back to what we've seen in years past, I've seen people leave one side of the church and go to the other side of the church and hug somebody they hadn't spoken to in years and apologize and, and, and get that thing right. And then the whole church just explode with revival. 
when people get things right. When they listen to the Lord and respond to Him. So, I would encourage you, please, if you would, to, to, to do that. Obey the Lord. He's, he's alive and well, and He speaks to our hearts, and He's able to, to do unbelievably wonderful things for us. Well, we are out of time. Jimmy?